Thank you, folks, for leading in worship this morning. Appreciate your service. I know it's done willingly. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, folks, this is a strange passage of scripture I'm delving into. Um, yeah, we're going to paint a picture here as we go through. So bear with me. I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll... Uh, embark on our journey through Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and uh, maybe some insights into this that you may not have thought of or I'm praying and hoping that it will help each one of you in various aspects of your life um, as I know it's helped me as I consider the things that King Solomon wrote a long time ago that are very pertinent for us today. Let's pray. Our Father God, we uh, just come to you before your throne of grace, Lord, uh, as needy people. Lord, we, we need a living and risen Savior, Lord. We're thankful that you do indeed exist. And uh, Lord, we're not uh, speaking uh, to the empty air. We speak to you, Lord, creator of all things and redeemer of mankind. And we thank you today. Uh, we thank you for the son of your love, our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we can cry out to. And uh, Lord, we just uh, ask that you would grant grace and strength as we embark uh, into the study of your word. And uh, Lord, how this pertains to us today, how our focus on life um, is affected by what we believe, Lord. Help us indeed in this area. Uh, now we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, many are questioning today, I'm certain, uh, after all we've been through over the last few years, as to the meaning for our existence, the meaning of life in general, the purpose of our existence. And you might find it kind of strange that a man as influential as a king, a very influential king of his time, would actually question the validity of life You'd even say so much as, in many ways, there's a lot of things that go on in life. Sometimes we take life for granted, but sometimes the vanity of life becomes very ob observant. And um, so Solomon here is writing, he wrote this book uh, probably around the year 930, 940 BC. So you think that's a long time ago. But again, like I said, very pertinent, the things that he discusses. These are things he's grasped with throughout his earthly reign. Uh, the Tyndale Bible Dictionary says that the Ecclesiastes is derived from the Greek ecclesia, meaning church or assembly. And it's pointing to the leader of the assembly. And the person here would be the king himself, Solomon, um, who reigned on the throne in Jerusalem as the third king of Israel. And he is the one who is preaching essentially to the church, the assembly, the Jewish people. And so this book here was really, it was customarily read during the Feast of Tabernacles or booths in commemoration of celebrating the end of the agricultural labors that the people would go through. And it's kind of fitting. Sometimes I think anybody who's in agriculture with all the 
the work and the long hours and the dust and the dirt and the seeds. And the, you can only imagine how laborious sometimes it might feel vain too. But there is a reason why this was written. And, and you're going to find out here in a moment. Now you may find it hard to believe that Solomon would question the meaning of life. One who lived life probably to its fullest in one essence, as we'll see. Um, as to Solomon, who was he? Well, we know he to be a true Israelite. He was privy to great spiritual truths, having the very words of God at his fingertips. And then, in fact, as king of Israel, he was, he was gifted with the word of God. He was to represent the word of God. Uh, he was a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, of, of the promises of God. He was the son of the illustrious King David, a man after God's own heart. He had a good pedigree there, didn't he, and his father. Uh, Solomon built the first temple, replaced the, uh, the first tabernacle, which would have been a tent-like structure, place of worship. So Solomon built the, te the temple. He was Israel's third king over his people. And yet, he questioned the meaning of life. When he was young, we know that Solomon asked of God for wisdom, didn't he? In 1 Kings 3, chapter 9, and feel free to turn there if you wish, 1 Kings 3, chapter 9, and you'll find written here the account of a young Solomon with the thought of reigning over a large populace of people in Jerusalem and Israel. And here it says here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And in uh, 1 Kings 3, verse 11, God said to him, this is the Lord's response, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but instead you have asked for yourself an understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So, we find that this is indeed true of Solomon, even to this day. It's an interesting um, reality of how powerful, how incredible this individual was that God had created him in this way and permitted him to have such wealth of knowledge and understanding. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, if we flip ahead there, uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30. Just a leaf through there. And we find here in 1 Kings 4.30, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and of all the wisdom of Egypt. His fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He understood flora and fauna. If you look at verse 33, you can tell that he understood flora and fauna. He was an avid scientist, a botanist, a biologist, a zoologist. This man knew his stuff. 
He knew the natural world. He understood it well. And it says here in verse 34, men of all nations. Okay, that's pretty amazing when you think about that. From all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom, they came to hear him. That's pretty amazing. In a business sense, he was like a modern-day Donald Trump. He was wildly successful. He had it all together, you could say. He could have had most anything his heart desired. Solomon had unheard wealth, power, prestige on an international scale. There was none like him in his day. He was incredibly powerful militarily in 1 Kings 4.26. Even as an architect, an engineer, having not only built the temple in Jerusalem in 1 Kings chapter 6, he erected many buildings. 2 Chronicles chapter 8 tells us that he even designed and built whole cities. That's amazing. But you see, for Solomon, that wasn't enough. He was driven to experience every excess life had to offer. He enjoyed it all. He was a sensual man. He was a politically driven and motivated man. In the, back here in March, when I spoke last, I, I was preaching from Second Chronicles, I believe, chapter 20, and we were talking about the influence of King Jehoshaphat. And how incredible. This would have been the great-great-grandson of King Solomon. And the amazing man he became. But thankfully, Jehoshaphat learned from his forefather's example. Solomon, he did some things that he later would regret. And written in the scriptures, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, you will see in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to just briefly highlight this. You can follow along. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. So Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. And for it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And you can see through verses 5 through 8 that he ended up caving in, giving in even willingly because the wives that he had in his harem Worshipping Ashtoreth, Milcom, God of the Ammonites, Ashtoreth, the God of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, and I'm sure there were others, but those are the key ones. And so he committed spiritual adultery. And it says in verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon. And in verse 11, the Lord said to Solomon, And because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I command you, I will surely tear the kingdom away. And we know that he did that. 
It split the nation in half, literally, because of all the things that he had done, the hard taxation and the pressure on the tribes in Israel, the different provinces of Israel, you might as well say. And so the northern tribes ended up in captivity. And Judah was left, Judah and Ephraim was left in the south and under the command of his son Rehoboam that would come. So here we have King Solomon, all of his experiences and all of his gaining knowledge and wisdom and all his political influence within the world, all the building projects, everything he had. And all these women he had loved before. Sounds like Willie Nelson. He strayed far from God. He had it all, but he paid dearly in the end. And Solomon questioned throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, what's life all about? Why do we exist? Because without God centrally focused upon, it seems like life would be futile. It's pointless. Near the end of his reign, this is after 39 years of reigning in Israel, in Jerusalem. I think he's come to the realization, all of I've experienced, how I've put the Lord aside in my life, and I've chased after all these other things, thought everything was so wonderful, come to the reality that those things really don't matter at the end of it all, does it? We always said, you don't see any U-Haul trailers on the back of a hearse. You can't take it with you. All of the things that he experienced, all that he achieved, he discovered, and I think you could surmise, and we'll come to that at the end of this, but he understood that life lived without God is futile. It's pointless. And that's the whole premise of this whole book. It's absolutely useless. A life lived without the fear of God is in vain. It's all vanity. But in Mark 8, 36, we remember the words of Jesus to his disciples. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? In verse 34, before that, whoever desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Because we find that in the person of Jesus Christ, there we find true living, true life. We find that because we have a God who cares, a God who loves us, a God who created us. When we understand that, life has worth, life has meaning. It's not all in vain. If you read through Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to do so, but as you read through it, you might be tempted to say to Solomon, if you were sitting at Tim Hortons with him, if you ever had the chance, you might say, Solomon, you're such a pessimist. You might say, Solomon, you're so fatalistic in your views. Solomon, you have found no joy whatsoever in your life. All this stuff that you've done, experienced, you've got no joy of life. That's what you'd be tempted to say, but... I don't think Solomon was trying to be a killjoy in writing the book of Ecclesiastes. I think he was trying to wake people up. I think he's trying to wake up the people in Israel. I think he was trying 
to wake up those who would read this. He, little did he know that in 2023, that even in this little, little church in Coldstream, we'd be discovering these words over again. Many of us have read them before, but we want to have a correct balance. Solomon knew the correct balance was a healthy view of who God is and to respect and honor him in the days of your life. We're meant to enjoy God's presence, to worship him. And Ecclesiastes really teaches us to view our existence the way God intended. Honoring God first, everything else comes secondary, doesn't it? And then we go ahead, we enjoy the life that God gives to the fullest within the confines of a healthy relationship with him. And so Solomon answers probing questions throughout the book, and I'm just touching on a few in my own transliteration, my own words. What is the true purpose for existence? Is the gain of knowledge enough to experience meaning and purpose for living? What about pleasure and sensual living? Is it enough? Is having a career enough? Is our accomplishments enough? Why is there suffering in the world? And those things are part and parcel of this book. And it helps us, I believe, even today. Now there's five points I'm going to make here this morning. Um, first of all, there's nothing but vanity under the sun. We can see it clearly as we go through the verses here. Nothing changes under the sun. Nothing satisfies under the sun. Nothing is new under the sun. And nothing is remembered under the sun. Those are our five points this morning. So nothing but vanity under the sun. That's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Verses 1 through 3. And it says here in verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, just turn with me there. We find here these words. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from his labor and all which he toils under the sun? So here he is declaring the vanity of life, the vanity of labors and accomplishments that have been done. Vanity seems simply to mean that something is seen as being kind of useless, absurd, futile, it's empty, it's meaningless, or maybe it's unprofitable. In other words, there's no value in it, there's no worth in and of itself. And these words were spoken by a man who had accomplished so much in his life. More than anybody could ever hope to accomplish in one's life. He did it all. And in looking back at his life, all he labored for, he felt in eternity in view, it was of little value, wasn't it? Why? I believe he understood that he labored, all that he had labored for would one day be no more. It would become history. You could say he was asking if life was worth the living. And one could earn a living, one can have a career, one could be successful, but if you don't recognize your creator, all the intensive hours, all the blood, sweat, and tears seems kind of worthless at the end when you're approaching eternity. They come to the end of one's life and realize all you've ever done, that's all passing away. It becomes history. Was Solomon saying that all his labors were completely useless or unenjoyable? 
Do you think he took pleasure in building the temple? I think so. I think he took pleasure in building the palace, the royal home that he had. Um, the Hall of Pillars was a big, huge building, monument that he had built, all these cities he had built. I'm sure that Solomon took great pleasure in those things. But he's discovered throughout life that if that's what you've hinged your value for living, if that's your self-worth is wrapped up in what you do and what you've accomplished, boy, you've missed the boat. You've missed the boat. And one day the results of our labors will pass away and the true value of who we are shouldn't be wrapped up in all those things. Yep, we can look back with pride and say, yeah, we accomplished that. Yep, I'm so glad I had the children I had or what have you. Things I've done, the experience if I had, but if that's all I have, I have nothing at all if I don't have the Lord. So what defines your self-worth? Life was in vain. He saw things as in vain, everything under the sun without God in it. Verses 4 to 7, nothing changes under the sun. You see, life goes on. We've heard that saying many a time, but it's true. But life continues, whether sometimes we like it or not. (laughs) The earth will continue long after we've departed this life. Sounds very pessimistic, doesn't it? We're so minuscule in comparison to creation itself. We feel small in existence. We feel, compared to the billions of people on the planet, you ever feel like you're nothing at all? Just a speck of dust in the universe. Everything's going to continue on its course just like it was meant to be. Seems like it'll pass us by one day. But Solomon observed this with a scientific mind. You see, he saw the cycle of life. He saw our place in the cycle of life. In verse 4 it says, one, gener- one generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. You see, in the natural world, day after day, like clockwork, you can observe this as well, and I'm sure you have. Solomon observed that God's intelligently designed systems continue to operate. For instance, the earth continues to rotate on its axis. The air currents, we understand as jet streams today. The natural runoff of water. Verse 5 says, The sun also rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again in its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. It's a cyclical action. And the natural world apart from its creator, seems to go on in drudgery. It just goes on and on and on and on. I know there's so many speculations as to the age of the earth. And people will date the rocks and heaven knows what. But I know that my God created it. And it's it's sad because when we think of the natural order of things, they're going to continue. It's going to continue on long after we're gone. 
and it seems like there's no point to existence. That's the secular view. That's the humanistic tendency to look at life as though, ah, we live like a dog, we die like a dog, we go to the dust. That's not how Solomon saw it at all. You might be tempted to think he did, but as you go through the book, you find that he didn't. Life will go on. It's vast, it's complex, it's seemingly unstoppable. But I'm telling you right now, and I hope you've experienced this as well, that the understanding that God indeed exists makes life worthwhile. Not only bearable, but worth living. It's true, isn't it? You see, those who fear the Lord will continue to live and will not be forgotten. I know the Apostle Paul, he had his self-worth. It wasn't in his labor and toils. It wasn't in his pedigree or his education as a Jewish man. So we know he persecuted the church of Christ when it first started after Christ descended into heaven after his uh, crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But we know that this man, his life was turned around. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This man experienced the relationship with the risen Savior. This is a faithful saying, Paul says, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now Solomon didn't fully understand. They knew the messianic prophecies that would come one day, that the Messiah would come, but he didn't know Christ in his fullness as Paul learned to understand Christ in his fullness. And he never had the scriptures like Solomon never had it like we have it today. We have the full scope right in front of us. This mystery, the church, amazing how Christ redeems unbelieving, wicked, unworthy sinners. That's every one of us. And how he can transform the heart and life to take you from a place where you might think life is just a cyclical action. I'm going to be lived today, die tomorrow, and it's all over. When you have the right focus, Paul found he had the right focus now. It wasn't in religion. It wasn't in all of his knowledge or experiences or anything that he had possessed or owned. He found it in the person of Christ. He says, For this reason I obtained mercy that in me Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He saw that there was a purpose to his existence. Life doesn't have to be vain. Life doesn't have to be looked upon pessimistically or with uh, futility. When you know the Savior... You have a meaning for your existence. You have a meaning for your living. And Paul says in the last words of this particular portion in 1 Timothy 2, 17, Now to the king eternal, gives him all the praise, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise. Be honor and glory forever and ever and amen. See, Solomon knew the same God. Even though he'd failed, 
He understood them. Nothing changes under the sun, but here's the good news, people. This is the good news we need to tell other people. Please live it. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to live it, that God exists. He never changes. There's a Savior. He's steadfast. He makes life worth living. He makes it bearable, even in the difficult times, doesn't he? Gives us hope. And though nothing changes under the sun, we find Solomon declaring that nothing satisfies under the sun either. I was often told as a boy that I was never satisfied with anything. Seems to be the case. I rarely was satisfied with the things I had. Selfish little fella. (laughs) But humanly speaking, we're, we're rarely satisfied. We're never satisfied with the weather. We're never satisfied with our vehicles. We always want the next model up. We're never satisfied with forms of entertainment or the latest electronic gadget. We're always seeking a new adventure. We're always wanting to go on vacation. We're thinking, I gotta get away. We're never satisfied. No wonder, sometimes the toil of work is drudgery. It's vain, isn't it? To what end? We're never satisfied with our quest to learn, no end of the reading of books or speaking or the information on websites and libraries electronically or in paperback, it doesn't matter. It just seems like there's no end because we never seem to be satisfied. And generally speaking, we just never seem to be fine fulfillment. We're never contented. And in verse 8 it says here, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it, Solomon says. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Even the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 27.20 says, the eyes of man are never satisfied, are they? Eyes of men and women are never satisfied. It would seem to me that Solomon understood the reality that man is naturally restless. We hunger, we thirst, we find no fulfillment. We really don't. We say, oh, I do find fulfillment in this or that, but in the end, you look back at it, was that real full fulfillment in life? It may have been enjoyable for the time. It passes, but I found the only one that really satisfied is the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my soul. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, he taught this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he promised this, they shall be filled. You will have satisfaction in life, in him. To the woman at the well in John 4, 14, remember the Samaritan woman? She came to pull and draw water from the well and Jesus was there. The amazing story of how he said, if you, know, you would ask of me, I would give you water that springs up into eternal life. I am the living water. I am the source of life. <laughs> and she discovered there that day that religion didn't keep her. That wasn't enough to satisfy her. All the relationships she's had with other men did not satisfy her. But what she found at the well that day in John 4.14 was the spring of living water, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave her satisfaction. Never thirsty again. You see, 
Though Solomon's indicating nothing satisfies under the sun, we understand that indeed there is one who does satisfy, and he lives today. Nothing new under the sun either. Solomon questioned if there's any use in doing anything because it has been done before. Think of all the movies that have been made. How many Fast and Furious movies do we need? How many sequels to Jaws do we need? How many of this, that, and everything else? How many crime shows has there been? It's always the same thing. Good guy, the bad guy. Now they glorify the bad guys over top of the good guys because the bad guys are the good guys. It's like, it's twisted, isn't it? The fashion scene. What was out of date 30 years ago is now back in style. They keep recycling fashion. (laughs) If you go back through ancient history, and they're finding more and more evidence of this all the time, ancient technologies long forgotten. How did they build the pyramids? How did they cut those rocks with such precision? What kind of boring tools did they use? We don't have anything quite like what they were using. They don't have evidence of exactly what it was they used to build all these ancient temples and buildings. And Anyway, they had some technologies. It's like, but what Solomon says here is interesting. In verse 9, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been done in ancient times before us. History repeats itself over and over again. The cycle of life goes on. You might think we're doing something new today, but you find out generations before, they'd done it already. We're going on about our electric cars aren't we? That's pretty neat technology. But in the early 1900s, there were electric cars. We think, oh, this is pretty neat. I see that guy going on that electric scooter, rechargeable batteries, lithium-ion batteries. Well, it's interesting because back in the early 1900s, there were electric scooters. They weren't widespread like they are in the world today. They had them. See how the the world just, we think we got it all, we got it all figured out. It's like, this life just keeps going on. Things are recycled. <laughs> Things are invented. Things have been forgotten in the past. History repeats itself. I was reminded of this passage, Luke 17, 26. It's a, really a warning to the world. Before the days of the Son of Man comes in judgment. Talk a lot about judgment. Luke 17, 26 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Christ's second coming is going to be a dreadful day for the world that rejects him. That's a scary thing. But you can see that life just continues on. It just continues on. It rolls along like a freight train. See, good opposes evil. Times of peace. There's times of war. Nations will rise. Nations will fall. 
Man is born, man will die, new kings will ascend the throne, old retiring monarchs will be replaced, like Solomon. He knows his time's coming. He's in his 39th year probably writing this. I don't know exactly. But he's nearing the end of his reign. And no doubt he's thinking in his mind, I've done all this work. If you get into chapter 3, you'll see it. Solomon's realizing, I'm going to be leaving all I've accomplished, all the work I've done, all the hard blood, sweat, and tears, I'm leaving it behind to someone else. But which would be Rehoboam, his son, right? Probably didn't deserve it. Grown up in the palace and privileged. He's going to end up with all that. He's going to give it to someone else who didn't deserve it, right? All of our blood, sweat, and tears, what worth was in that? You see, if we look at life through pessimistic eyes and futile thinking to just see the mundane in all of this. You see, when, when you got the right focus, when you look at life and all the accomplishments, all the things we enjoy, if you see the Creator in that, you see your Savior in and through this, life has great meaning, doesn't it? Solomon understood life to have great meaning. Lastly, nothing is remembered under the sun in verse 11. How easy it is for us to be forgotten. I don't know any of you in here, but I doubt there's any famous scientists in here probably. Uh, Any famous military figures in here? Any people ascend to the throne of a country, (laughs) lead a nation, a politician, an artist? Well, these are the ones that usually end up in the history book, but The average person like you and me, we usually don't make it into a book unless somebody's diary captured our name or something, right? Or eventually our our tombstone. We understand that it's not long, is it, before many generations will pass long forgotten. We're forgotten. Our old home in Bridgetown, Nova Scotia. I don't know if I've ever told this story to anybody or not, but back home in Nova Scotia, I lived in the town of Bridgetown. Not far from our home, there was a path up through several lots, and it meandered its way through. It was about 20 feet in length. Anyway, it was just this little tiny path up through the alder bushes. Well, unbeknownst to probably most people, Anybody who had never walked in there, never knew the story, would never have known. But up and through that path, in amongst the alder bushes, overgrown, there's this tombstone from the 1800s. And I don't remember the man's name, but he was a prominent doctor in the town of Bridgetown in the 1800s. No doubt, he had done many things for the people of that town and the surrounding areas. And yet, here on this beaten path is his tombstone, his grave, and you think, he's forgotten. Well, it's interesting. God hasn't forgotten him. There's something I guess we can take away from all this. Even though from man's eyes, from man's perspective, we will be forgotten one day, no doubt, to many, except maybe family, 
Ecclesiastes 1.11 says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. All the accomplishments, even our own life, our influence in life, hopefully we'll leave a legacy for people to remember us. Hopefully we'll have had somewhat of an impact that people remember us for several generations, but how easily man forgets. Whether an individual accomplishes much, man doesn't remember. But God exists. God exists. He remembers the past. He knows the future. You see, life is vain if we don't recognize the order. If we don't recognize that God is first, we're second to him. He is worthy of our worship. He lives he is our creator, he is our savior, he is our redeemer, he is our comforter. If we don't understand that, life will seem vain. Life will be just like what Solomon's writing about here. It became like that for him. All the power and prestige and accomplishments, he often set God aside. He often forgot God with his wives and followed after other gods. It was like, choose your own adventure. Like I like that Jeremy says that a lot, Pastor Jeremy. He'll say, yeah, it's like you can choose your own adventure. You can make God to whatever God you want, right? And it just, that is so vain. I encourage us all, don't allow the mundaneness of life sidetrack you from God. If you who exist under the sun as a created being as an individual whom Christ died for, if you do not acknowledge that he exists above the sun, outside of his created processes, your whole life will have no purpose. It'll be futile. It'll be unprofitable. You'll end up questioning the purpose of your existence. You'll find no rest for your soul. You'll find there's no peace. You'll question Life under the sun. You'll find that there's nothing but vanity under the sun. You'll find that there's nothing that ever changes under the sun. Satisfies under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And nothing is remembered under the sun. Unless you know that the Lord exists. And that he has a... You're to have a place. Allow him into your heart. Solomon, at the end of this book, Ecclesiastes 12.1, and you can flip there, we see these words penned. So the pessimistic, fatalistic viewpoints that he shares here is just a, a man who had done much, experienced much, just explained his heart out to the people in his writings. What does he advise to us? who are reading this today. The congregation, the preacher's preaching. What did Solomon say? He says in here in verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon was at that place many years into his life. He was finding no pleasure until he remembered his Creator. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the conclusion of the book. Fear God 
Keep his commandments, for this is man's awe. For God will bring every work in the judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hear the conclusion. There is a conclusion. God will conclude this. And I'm so thankful that our Lord Jesus Christ lives and that he is coming again and that we're awaiting his coming. And the world looks on like they did in the days of Noah and mock and scoff. Where is the hope of Jesus' coming? And all around me, they joke and mock and, you know, you kind of take it on the chin, but you think, wish they'd wake up because he's coming. I want to be ready. Let's remember him today. And I, I just pray, take time, read through the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and may those words from King Solomon encourage your soul today. Let's pray. Our Father God, we just commit our ways to you now as we uh, look at the, the Word. The Word is so powerful, Lord. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, it divides soul and spirit right down to the sinews, Lord. And uh, Lord, I know that in your Word, through Solomon's pen, uh, Lord, there's things that were written here for us today. And Lord, I know that there's things that have touched lives here today so we just pray that you would have your work in each man and woman and child in this auditorium lord and we just ask god you would do a finished work we thank you that for those who know our lord jesus christ we have this hope uh, this encouragement we just ask lord that you help us to um, to live in such a way that life would not seem vain to the rest of the world that observes our own life. Lord, let us see the hope that we have in Christ. Help us to keep from thinking of life as vain, because truly it is not. There is a purpose. We don't understand it all, but Lord, you're in control. And we just ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well,